Good morning. I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 5-2 from the NIV. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Amy. There are lots of things about the Christian life that people would consider extremely difficult, if not outright impossible. Last week, we talked about patience. How many of you found yourself impatient this last week? Absolutely, yes. Uh, It's difficult, right? We are directed to be patient. We are directed to all kinds of things, to consider others above ourselves. We're called to serve. We're called to serve not just for one mile, but for two. We're called to give endless forgiveness. And for those kind of commands, we need help. We say, I need, I can't do that without some help. But when we get to this trait that we're talking about today, when we get to kindness, that command in the text today, be kind, it's a little different. Because none of us really thinks that we have a problem with this one. It's hard to forgive, and almost everyone will tell you about their struggles to forgive somebody in their life, but almost nobody thinks that they have issues with kindness. This week, just try to find somebody that will actually admit, uh, yeah, I'm a pretty unkind person. Like, we don't say that, right? Research bears that out. Studies will tell us that nobody thinks that they have trouble with kindness. Are you a kind person? Absolutely, sure I am. Well, I mean, pretty sure. I mean, I'm not unkind, right? That's the way we think. And what we're doing, for those of you who uh, are just joining us, is we're going through the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter five, Paul gives us two lists One list is a list of things when we operate out of our own desires and our own urges uh, and, and the things that result as a way of operating. And that is a dead list, things like anger and bitterness and rage and divisions and rivalry and strife. And all of those things lead to death. And so we call that the dead list. And then Paul gives us another list where he lists the things that God wants to move us towards. Uh, things like love and joy and peace and patience. And these Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. And these are the things that God wants you to have more of in your life. And so um, we are talking about how do we get more love? How do we get more patience? And today, how do we get more kindness? And so we've been running these through about four questions every week. We've talked about what is this thing that we're called to cultivate in our life to get more of? What's the weed that we need to get rid of so that we can cultivate more of this thing in our life and it, so that it has the best chance to grow? Number three, what's the fake to watch out for? Is there an imitation or a counterfeit of this aspect of the fruit? Something that might look like the thing but is not really the thing. And then number four, what is 
the way to more of this. Um, if God is the ideal of all of these characteristics, if God is love, if God is joy, if God really is peace, then what about him do I need to latch onto more and more so that I can get more of these things that make life wonderful um, in my life? Um, and so we've also, as we start each week, we've also committed together to memorize this famous text. Well, we didn't really vote on it, right? But you didn't, you, didn't, uh, you know, uh, rise up in a revolt. So we are memorizing this text. So here, I'm gonna throw a lot of blanks at you today, okay? Uh, but by now, you guys are seasoned veterans. You know what's happening and we can fill in these blanks. Here we go. Everybody with me? But the of the is Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Oh, that got a little, a little iffy there. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Very good. Against. Against such things there is no law, and that's Galatians. 23. Very good. Nice. Well done. Um, this week, we come to kindness. There is a path that Paul is trying to take us to in this text in Galatians chapter 5, and that's the culmination of the path. And our goal is to take more and more corners of our heart down the path away from the things that will kill us and destroy us and more towards the things that make life great. Love, joy, peace, patience, and today, kindness. How do we get more of that in our life? It's in this list in Galatians chapter five. It also shows up in a list that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love is patient, right? And then love is kind. It's kind. What is kindness? Now, Kindness is a hard word to pin down. Like I said earlier, it has a lot of range. It has breadth. And it can mean a lot of different things in a lot of different contexts. And there's a lot of different levels to kindness. But at the very basic, we're going to use the word. The word is Christos. And it means mild or pleasant or gentle. Okay? And it's used, interestingly, in a place in Luke chapter 5, it's used by Jesus himself. Jesus is talking. He's giving a parable about new wine in old wineskins, and nobody does that because the old wineskins will burst with new wine. And then he gets to the end of that, and he says, here's the truth. He says, after somebody has had the old wine, and what we need to understand about old wine was that it was aged, and so that it was the good stuff. Okay, we could say it that way. It was the good stuff. He says, after somebody has the good stuff, nobody wants the new stuff. In other words, nobody want, wants the stuff that's not aged. They don't want the stuff that's cheap. Uh, they don't want the cheap stuff, okay? After ha somebody's had the good stuff, they don't want the cheap stuff because the aged wine is, he says, kind. That's interesting. It means that the good stuff is gentle. It's mild. It's pleasing, and our, our English translated, translates it 
good. It's good. And so to be kind is to be helpful in a mild and gently pleasant way. At the core level, kindness is just meeting the needs of other people. We hold the door and, or we defer and we let somebody else go in line in front of us. Uh, we help old ladies across the street at the core level. There's another level to kindness that has a relational tie. I want to I wanna keep re- a good relationship with the people in my life. Maybe they're my family. Maybe they're my church. Maybe they're my friends or my work, my coworkers. And so we extend kindness at a community level so that we don't, um, we aren't disowned by the community, right? It's what's expected of us. But here, there's a deeper level of kindness that Christians are called to. Verse 32, in our text today, in Ephesians chapter four, Paul says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And then I want to throw another um, scripture in front of you. This is Titus chapter three. And he says, but when the goodness, and that's actually our word. That's actually the word for kindness. It's not translated kindness. It's translated goodness, but that's our word. But when the goodness and loving kindness, there's our word, but it's not our word. See how confusing this is? Um, this actually means the loving kindness means just the humanity, that the humanity of God showed up. So we could read it like this, but when the kindness and the humanity of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. And what I want you to see is that biblical kindness is at another level because it is always hooked to what Jesus has done and who Jesus is. He has come down to our level and he has kindly helped us. And so the way we need to define kindness is this. It is helpful and pleasant action taken towards others because of the helpful and pleasant action Christ has taken towards us. That's kindness. We put our time and talents and deeds into other people, not just because it's what is expected, Uh, not just because it will keep a relationship intact, but because Jesus showed us kindness, kindness first. He saw somebody else as precious and valuable. And if Jesus sees another person as precious, then we can see them as precious and valuable too and respond appropriately. I want you to think about it this way. I want you to think about one of the uh, most valuable things in your life. And for those of you who have lived a little life, probably one of the most valuable things in your life, physically speaking, like material stuff, is your house, okay? It's worth way more than probably any other thing that you own. So if a storm rolls through and a tree falls on your roof and and there's a hole in your roof, what do you do? (laughs) Guess what? Whether you want to or not, you spend the thousand, two thousand, five thousand, ten thousand, whatever it is, to fix that roof because you look at the overall value of your house and you say that it's stupid. I, I got to, I have to put money into that because of the overall value of the house. If, on the other hand, you're sitting in your living room and you're watching your forty-two inch screen TV and uh, you're watching the Chiefs and all of a sudden. Poof, and smoke comes from the back of your TV, that's a bad day, right? Unless you're a Patriots fan or a Raiders fan, whatever. Um, But in that case, if somebody would come in and say, you know what, I can fix your TV. No problem, that little 42-inch TV, I can fix it, and it'll only cost you 1,200 bucks. What would we say? 
You're, you're, what? You're kidding me. No, no, we're not going to do that. Why? Because the overall value of the TV is not worth putting that kind of money into. And there it is. There's the new attitude for kindness. Before we were kind, before we knew Jesus, we were kind just to be nice. We were kind just to maintain our status in a relational setting. And those things can still be true. But now that we know Jesus, we have a new fuel. We have a new engine for our kindness. And it's this, that we see people as so precious that nothing is too much to put into them. No price tag is too big because they are worth it. Jesus' investment in people was his very life. And people were worth him hanging on a cross. And if that's true, then my money and my time and my talents and my resources and my words and my energy and my focus, nothing is really too much to give because we've come to the point where we can say people are worth it. That's Christian kindness. Because of what Jesus has done, I can look at anybody in my life and say, they're worth it. What's the opposite of kindness? What's the weed that we need to get rid of? Um, And one way to picture kindness is to speak in terms of generosity. Kindness is seeing that other people are worth it because of what Jesus did, and because of that, giving them what they need. And so kindness is tied closely to giving and to generosity. When I'm kind to somebody, I'm giving my time or I'm giving my thoughts or I'm giving my words or I'm giving my encouragement or I'm giving my money or I'm giving my efforts, my energy, my love. It's all about giving, right? And so if kindness is generosity, then think of what the opposite of that is. A lack of kindness would be a lack of generosity. And there are lots of words that we could throw around to describe that. We could you throw out the word selfish or the word tight-fisted or the word miserly or the word cheapskate or scrooge, right? Uh, here's the word I wanna use, stinginess. Stinginess, the weed to get rid of is stinginess. And if we go back to that famous character, Scrooge did that with his employee. He assessed He valued, he waited out, and he decided that Bob Cratchit wasn't worth any kindness. And so he made him work grueling hours hours for meager pay. And he considered Christmas Day off as a way of being, with pay, as a way of being pickpocketed solely due to social custom. He was a horrible person. And when we think of stinginess, we think of Ebenezer Scrooge. You've read Dickens, right? But that happens to us too. When we see somebody in need, one of the things sometimes we do is we begin to assess. We begin to weigh. And the conclusion sometimes is they're just not worth it. That's unkindness. When we look at somebody because of their race or their education or class or social standing or ethic or their religion or their culture or maybe a past experience with them, we look at them and we say, they're just not worth it. And we become stingy with our kindness. We become tight-fisted. And the ultimate red flag of stinginess is what Paul says here. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ has forgiven you. The ultimate red flag of stinginess is our refusal to forgive. When we say, they're just not worth it. And so I'm not even going to forgive them what they owe me. 
There's a parable that Jesus talked about and told in Matthew um, 18. And it's a parable of a king who had a debtor. And this guy owed him so much, he would never be able to repay any of his debt. And so he threw him in prison. And finally, this guy screamed enough that the king granted him audience. And this guy went before the king just uh, falling on his knees and just begging for mercy. Would you please forgive me my debt? There's no way I'll ever repay it. The only way I have a chance of getting out of prison is just if you'll just forgive my debt. Would you just do that? And the king thought about it. He said, okay, all right, I'll do that. And that debtor went right out. And here's the way Jesus told the parable. He found somebody that owed him money. And it wasn't a debt that couldn't be, ever be repaid. It was the equivalent of 10 bucks, 100 bucks, $1,000, something that was manageable. And he said, I need it right now. And if you don't give it to me right now, I'm gonna throw you in prison. And that's what he did because his friend couldn't pay him what he owed him. And Jesus' point in the story is, do you see how incongruent that is? Do you see how that doesn't go together our only option in light of our situation is to repay the kindness we've been shown with our own kindness, to forgive as we have been forgiven. We have been pardoned of everything because Jesus came and he forgave our sin and that has to translate into kindness and forgiveness for other people. And so if the Spirit is directing we will become more and more kind and less and less stingy, more willing to give, more apt to burden ourselves for people, not just our friends, but for people who don't come from the same cloth as we do. Jesus called them the least of these. These are people that might owe you something, but you don't, don't demand payment because you know what you have been given, the forgiveness that has been extended to you because of Jesus. And maybe... Our stinginess can be replaced with kindness to the point where that one day the phrase, they're just not worth it, won't even occur to us. What's the counterfeit of kindness? Something that looks like kindness but really isn't. And um, I didn't want to use this word, but it's the, I didn't find a better one. So I just wrote it out. Uh, sentimentality is the imitation, the fake to watch, watch out for. And what we're talking about is somebody who desires to have the luxury of an emotion without paying for it. That's what a sentimentalist is. And so what we're talking about is appearing to be generous, appearing to be kind, appearing to be giving, but you really haven't been because it really, at the end of the day, it hasn't cost you anything. The imitation is showing kindness, not because somebody else is worth it, but because I'm worth it. And at the end of the day, my kind actions are just for me because I'm worth it. It's kind of like moving a piano. Uh, from time to time, we have to move this big thing uh, around and we have wheels to do it if it's on the stage and that's very helpful, but sometimes we need to move it down here and that's a different ball game, right? When we have to do that, we have to get six, eight, 10 people around this piano and we have to all bear a little weight. Here's what inevitably happens. Somebody looks like they're bearing weight, but guess what? They're not, right? And that's our word. That's sentimentality. 
Whenever we talk about giving kindness, but we're really not giving kindness, we put ourselves into situations to appear kind. We go to church, right? We're a part of a small group. We, we show up at the event or we attend the fundraiser and those things make us look kind. But the real question is, are you bearing any weight? That's the real test of kindness. It's, is it costing you anything? Have you given to the point where your giving has diminished the choices you get to make in your life? That is what it means to bear weight and to really be kind to somebody. That's true kindness. And the helpful principle that I want to give you is to act instead of react. A lot of us will say, oh yeah, I'm kind. I, I hold the door at the gas station or, um, you know, some need will come up and I, I try to meet that need. And all of those, all of the things that we would more normally point to and say we're kind are things that we are just reacting to. That's all we're doing. We need to flip that. Let's act instead of React. If I, plan, if, I, um, if I put kindness into action only because of my knee-jerk reaction, then I'm not planning. My, I plan my kindness instead of it being an accident, okay? Paul steers us this way in verse 29. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up. That's the phrase we need to catch on to, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. The phrase build up is a phrase that he takes out of uh, construction. It is literally a, a phrase, uh, it's a picture of when you would build a house. Some of you have built houses in your life, okay? Okay. Uh, let me see hands. I know there are a few people who have actually built a house or had a house built, okay? What's the, what's the starting place for building a house? Do you immediately go, up, go out and start throwing up walls in the middle of a field? No, you don't do that. I hope you don't do that. I hope you didn't do that. Your house didn't last very long if you did that. Do you buy the kitchen cabinets first? Probably not, okay? Here's, here's what you start with when you build a house, you start with a plan. They're called blueprints. It's a plan of how this is going to go. And it takes a, a blueprint to build a house. And Paul is saying that it also takes a blueprint, a plan to be kind. All of the directives that Paul gives us in this text, like watching what we say and steering clear of wrath and anger and slander and malice and not grieving the Holy Spirit, all of those directives lead right into and are summed up with this directive, be kind to one another. And it takes a plan. Act instead of react. And a plan, will, a plan to be kind will ward off the fake kindness that actually isn't bearing any weight, the sentimentality that sometimes we come with. So how do we get more of this in our life? I need to point you to one of the key pieces of this text. It's where Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It's in verse 30. And he goes on to say, after don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And the implication here is pretty obvious. It is that our kindness to each other is what the Holy Spirit is after. And so our unkindness to each other is what ends up grieving the Holy Spirit. And when it says grieve, it means to cause pain. 
And what is it? What is it about unkindness that pains the Holy Spirit? The answer is in the very next phrase. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Sealed for the day of redemption. What is that? The Holy Spirit is like a coach. What's the job of a coach? The coach gets his team ready to compete well so that they can win the game. And the Holy Spirit is a coach, and his goal is to get everybody ready for what's coming for the day of redemption. His goal is to get you ready for God's coming kingdom. His goal is to get you ready for heaven. And when we think of heaven, here's what we think. We, we think it'll be perfect and glorious, and I think that's right. We think it'll be nothing but blue skies and puppy dogs for 24-7, right? And what we think of when we think of heaven are all the surroundings that will be perfect and, and fitting and, and fit in place. But do we ever stop to think about how we might need to change a little bit in order to be able to fit in to that place. We don't. I think it's usually the last thing that we think, but we should. We need to change a bit so that we fit in to what God wants to build, and we're gonna need some coaching to get there so that when the day comes, we're ready, and that's the Holy Spirit's Job. I like how one commentator put it. He said the role of the Holy Spirit is to help people get closer and closer to their future glorious self. And everyone, no matter who you are, is worth the time and effort required to get you to your future glorious self. That's the Holy Spirit's goal. And when we, oh, just like we run the wrong play when a coach calls a play and we run the wrong one and he grits his teeth and he is grieved, Ugh. guess what happens? When we are unkind and we run the wrong play, the Holy Spirit is grieved. Do you remember Paul's directive right after the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5? Here's what he tells us to do. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Unkindness, our stinginess, is saying they're not worth it. Unkindness is our sentimentality saying, I am worth it. But what the Holy Spirit is saying is everyone is worth it. The Holy Spirit is taking all of his time, all of his energy, all of his focus to help coach other people to become fit and ready for heaven. And here's the question, are you in step with that? Are you showing kindness to other people to the extent that they are becoming more and more their future glorious self? Kindness is coming into somebody else's life not to be served, but to serve. That's the way Christ showed kindness to us. Can I take just a moment and point to where our kindness matters most? This will come as no surprise. Our kindness matters no, most in our closest relationships, in marriage, in our family. Here's, here's the truth. We are sometimes the most unkind to the people that we live with. We take them for granted. <laughs> we think, ah, uh, they're stuck with me, so they have to, you know, they have to just deal with it. And we end up being unkind to the people that we need to be most kind to. 
Here's another truth. Sometimes it's easier for us to be kind to friends and to acquaintances and to neighbors than to the people that we share a house with. Here's yet another truth. Sometimes we are seen by our families being nice to people that we barely know. And our families are saying in their heads, if they could only see what he's like at home. Wow, she can be nice. I guess she just can't be nice to me. I came across a study this week where the, the, the effects of contempt and kindness were studied in the context of marriage. And it turns out that contempt that married people have for one another is the number one factor that, that tears couples apart. People who are focused on criticizing their partner miss the good things. They miss over 50%, over half of the positive things that their partners are doing. And as a result, they only see negativity when there's really no reason to see negativity. And so they give their partner the cold shoulder. They deliberately ignore their partner. They respond minimally to their partner. They damage the relationship by making their partner feel more and more worthless and invisible and as if they're not there and they make them feel not valued. What's more, people who treat their partners like this and let's just say family members as well and criticize them not only kill the love in the relationship, but they also do this. They kill their partners or their family's ability to fight off viruses and cancers. This is no small thing. The physical health effects of contempt, of unkindness in marriage and in your family are just as fatal as smoking, as high blood pressure, as high cholesterol, as obesity, or inactivity. When you are mean to the people that you live with, you're not only killing the relationship, you are literally killing them. That's amazing. That Paul says here, you know what God wants more of for you in your life? Life. <laughs> and here's how you can start. Would you be kind to one another? Tenderhearted, forgiving. See, Paul knew what the study concluded. He already knew. Kindness glues us together. It glues couples together. It glues families together. It glues Christians together. It glues churches together. Kindness makes people feel cared for, understood, and validated. It makes them feel loved. And just like contempt kills, kindness cures. Evidence showed that the more someone received or witnessed kindness, the more they would be kind themselves, which leads to an upward spiral of love and generosity and mildness and pleasantness in relationships and in families and in churches and in communities. And here's what's amazing. We have a Savior who came and was kind to us. In his kindness, he saved us. And when we show kindness to others, out of grateful hearts because of what Jesus has done for us and out of the kindness that he gave to us, when we're kind, we can literally save people's lives, their physical lives, and we can save their souls at the very same time. 
Kindness helps us keep in step with the Spirit, moving people to their future glorious self. How do I get more of this kindness? There's a familiar refrain by now. We're halfway through this series, and it's a lot of the same stuff when we get to this point. You need to remember the gospel. You have to see the gospel. You have to remember your contempt for God. You have to see that you were killing yourself with your sin, that you were the one in need, but Jesus came and was kind to you anyway. That's the only thing, to see his kindness for you that will change your attitude about the people around you. It's the gospel that changes us. The kind, generous, obvious thing that comes because of what Jesus has done is that we get to share our wealth with those who are in need. Jesus said it this way, though he was rich for our sakes, he became poor. He was kind. I wanna call the band up and we're gonna conclude this way. I wanna watch a little video uh, clip. And I want you to think about the kindness that your rich father has shown you and how that should make a difference in your life. Let's say we go get your mom and your sister some cotton candy. All right. Stay right there. Can I get two, please? Across the table, come 
And touch the things you cannot feel And close your fingertips And fly where I can't hold you Let the sun rain fall And let the dewy clouds enfold you And maybe you can sing to me I hope you know them the kids that just beat me up I know who they are, son. Well, then why'd you just give a mom and lady's cotton candy? Because it looked like they hadn't been given nothing in a long time. It's possible that someone in your life is just one act of kindness away from knowing Jesus. It's very possible that somebody will not come to know Jesus because of the messages here at the church, but because of your kindness. And your kindness is a result of you seeing a Savior who had little reason to deal with your filth, but he came and did it kindly. And so you, in turn, have been gentle and pleasant and helpful and giving to the other people in your life. Love is is not communicated in the big events nearly as much as it is in the very small acts of intentional kindness that we set ourselves to. Look around you. In your life this week, who looks like they haven't been given nothing in a long time? And could you give them a little kindness? Two more blanks. Cultivate kindness this week. Number one, give kindness to the point that your choices are diminished this week. These are exercises for you to cultivate kindness. Give to the point where your choices are diminished this week. Number two, plan an action that will help another person step closer to their future glorious self. An action that will be kind, that will make somebody more fit for heaven. What can you do? this week. Father, we thank you for what you've done, for the kindness that you've shown us. And may we in turn pass that on to others. We are so in debt to you. And yet Jesus has covered our debt. He has come and he has stood with us. He's with us in the fire. And because he is with us, we have the fuel to be kind to those around us. Help us to that end this week. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like you to stand. Maybe you have never given yourself to that kindness like Luke did earlier in the service. Maybe you've never stepped through that doorway of faith um, in repentance and baptism. We're here to help you do that today. You come if that's what you need to do as we sing.